if you're investing locally, you think you're solving the risk factor. Well, if you're investing out of state, you're solving the other part of the problem where, okay, how do I get someone else to do this for me? And once you figure out how to do that, it actually is very simple. Welcome to the Passive Income Brothers Podcast. Here, we take the fear out of real estate investing using real life stories of everyday successful investors. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Passive Income Brothers Podcast. My name is Tim Lyons, and today I'm joined by my brother and co-host, Greg Lyons. How are you doing today, Greg? Tim, I'm doing great. And I think the Passive Income Brothers have met their match. Chris and Ashton are brothers that are just making it happen in the real estate world. And I'm just so excited to speak with them about their journey. And it's just some wonderful parallels here. Yeah, it's awesome because I've been seeing them on social media and I told myself a long time ago, I need to I need to meet these folks. And I had the fortune of meeting Chris out at a conference a couple of weeks ago. So without further ado, I would love to introduce our guest to Chris Leverek from Valkyr Investment Group. Chris is the operations manager for Valkyr. He is in charge of management of the company, technical infrastructure, and daily ongoing operations needed to support the business. Without further ado. Chris Leverack. Welcome to the show, Chris Leverack. How are you today, sir? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been a, a long time in, in the works because I've been wanting to get you and I was trying to get your brother on the show too, but we'll have to, we'll have to wrangle him in some other time. But yeah, I mean, part of the reason why I was so excited to kind of get you onto the show is because as I was going through my journey, my multifamily real estate kind of education journey, I kept on seeing these other two brothers out there that were making it happen. And I said to myself, at one point, I need to hop on the phone with these guys. And we ended up connecting in Phoenix a few weeks ago at a conference. So that was awesome. But Chris, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about kind of like your background? Because I think that they're really going to get a lot of value out of a young guy who has you know, done the college thing. And I don't want to give away too much, but yeah. Everybody sharpen those pencils because Chris is about to tell you a great story. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Good intro. And yeah, we'll forgive my brother. He's deployed, so he's you know probably busy fighting the good fight. But yeah, my brother Ashton and I, my name's Christopher LeBaric, and we got started 2018 in real estate. But before that, yeah, I, I had a really cool, I guess, life coming out of high school. I, I went to France for two years, lived there, and then I joined the military shortly after I was in the Air Force. I did uh, four years Air Force firefighter, which was a little really fun, you know, similar to you, Tim, except I didn't see many fires, to be honest. I did EMT and I did more medical work than anything. Got to deploy. That was fun. Uh, came back, got out, went to college, got an IT degree. I spent 12 years as an IT engineer. So great salary. If you want to get into real estate, it really helps to have a good paying job like that. And around 2018, while I was still working in my career W-2 job, decided, I think people know 2018, there was a dip in the market, about 20% pullback. All the 401ks felt it and mine, mine especially. I was like, you know, man, this is not going to last me. <laughs> when I get to 59 and a half or 67, I don't know what this 401k is going to be like, but with these kind of pullbacks or very, you know, varying amount. There's got to be something else. So started looking at podcasts and getting into real estate. Saw a lot of wealthy people had real estate. There had to be something there. I had a 45 minute commute every day to work. So started listening to those podcasts and reading those audibles or listening to audible books. Eventually we bought two duplexes. Took me about six months to warm up to the idea of purchasing something. My brother was all in 
you know, pretty quickly. He's more of the bash the door down. I'm kind of like, you know, put the strategy in place. (laughs) And we bought two duplexes in Durham, North Carolina. There wasn't an idea of making a business around it back then. It was really just financial freedom. How do we get better at real estate? How do we uh, start the journey and be able to quit our jobs and that kind of thing? But that that scaled pretty quickly. We did two duplexes in 2018. And then we went on to do another two more duplexes in the early spring of 2019, a five-unit, a 13-unit, and a 16-unit at the end of 2019, 2019. So coming in 2020, we had about 46 units in just under like 16 months. So it was pretty aggressive. And our wives jumped on board probably around the, I want to say the 13 unit, so mid-2020. And uh, we started making LLCs and we started making a brand and a name and, you know, really growing it, especially when we hit that that stride of 16 unit. That was our first syndication, what you call a real estate syndication. So from there, it's really compounded and, and we can go more into details, but we're, you know, we're around 650 units now. Uh, we run a real estate investment firm. We're doing some short-term rentals on the side now. So we've really opened up, you know, the investments we do. We don't only do long-term syndication. So it's been cool. Yeah, Chris, Chris, this is fantastic. And uh, Tim, can you feel the parallels that are going on here? No doubt about it. I mean, <clears throat> working with his brother, you know, it, it, those comes with the highs and lows and we could get into that. That could actually be a completely different podcast about working with your brother. However, you know, kind of centered around this idea of financial freedom. And I think Tim and I felt this. You felt it in 2018 with the little dip in the market. And Tim and I felt that in 2020 when the COVID pandemic hit. And I was sent home from my job. And it's, hey, there's got to be something more out there. And that idea and that thirst for knowledge of how can I make something work and we just kept coming back to multifamily real estate. Sounds like you did the same thing as well. We haven't quite gotten our wives into the businesses yet. I'm not sure that's going to be a great recipe, but who knows? Don't hold um, your breath. But exactly. Tough. We, it's no, tough. we will yeah, we won't hold our breath on that. But um you live in the Phoenix area now and you decided to start investing in North Carolina to get started. Take us through how being new to real estate, you wanted to do the out of state thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a common common thing that people have have struggled with. Oh, I need to invest in my backyard. I'm often on bigger pockets, which is the real estate forum. I talk, you know, I post a lot about this. Investing out of state is is fearful because you can't touch it and you can't go there if there's a problem. And from the beginning, we had an idea that we didn't want to do that anyway. So we didn't want to go to the property if there was an issue, if the toilet was full or flooding. I didn't actually want to be that guy that that unclogged the toilet. So in my mind, I had to change that idea of, okay, well, you know, just because it's close, that doesn't mean it's less risky. And it also didn't satisfy our goals. We didn't want to go visit the property when that was happening. So we forced ourselves to invest out of state so we could pick up those key tools and key skill sets that would allow us to do that. And another reason too, of course, was the price point. You, when you invest out of state, you can get a, a lot of advantages, not only price, but mainly it is price, but it's also following the market. So if your market's really hot, and there's, it's really hard to find a property. Well, you can always invest out of state. It's just solving the other, the other problem. So if you're investing locally, you think you're solving the risk factor. 
Well, if you're so, if you're investing out of state, you're solving the other part of the problem where, okay, how do I get someone else to do this for me? And once you figure out how to do that, it actually is very simple. So, Chris, I think I say this on every podcast, like how I just love the story, right? And how I want people to take notes. And I think to unpack a few things about what you said was, you know, when people... I spend a lot of time kind of defending myself against the the naysayers of real estate and passive real estate and passive income. You know, Tim, there's no such thing as passive income. You have to work for it. You got to punch the clock. You got to work overtime. You got to do this. You got to do that. And it's really, a, it's a paradigm shift. And what I loved about what you just said was that you went into the real estate game really with no plan. You said you bought the two duplexes, no real plan, no real business around it. But what you did know and what you started with was your goals, right? You and your brother had goals. And it sounds like you wanted to have that time freedom, right? Kind of segue into that financial freedom, right? But you wanted that time to be yours. So you invested out of state. And I love what you said. He said, it's not not risky because it's close, right? I mean, the, the toilet's still going to overflow. The proverbial mm-hmm. you know, light bulb needs to be changed by somebody. You know, Something's always going to happen. But because it's around the corner from you, doesn't make it less risky, right? And I think that really goes into having a goal when you get into any kind of investing, but especially real estate investing. And a stack on top of that, it's building out a team, right? You don't have to do this by yourself. You can start with capital. You can be a high earner. You can get a, a windfall in some shape, way, or form, right? And you don't have to do real estate by yourself. There's other people out there like a Chris, like Ashton, like Cityside Capital that are doing the thing. They are the experts. And that always you know, leads me to tell people about the book, Who Not How, right? There's mm-hmm. always an expert that you need yeah. to go call and you know and pay for their expertise because the learning curve can be collapsed by decades if you really rely on a team. That's one thing that Greg and I really found out by getting involved in real estate was that this, it's a team sport, right? So with that in mind, can you tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, all right, you got started, no real business plan. Now you're getting some momentum, right? And by the way, congratulations, 46 units in under two years. I mean, that's insane. But that's great, including a syndication, right? And mm. what I love about Chris is when I met him, he's a regular guy, right? And he has 650 units and a short-term rental business. And he's either leaving or has just left the, the W-2 world. Just left last week. Just left last week. I mean, how incredible. <laughs> oh, how about that? I yeah, think we're the same you. age, right? Weren't you 39 or 40 or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm 38. 38. All right. So I'm adding some time to you, but incredible, incredible stuff. And this is the stuff, this is the gold that I want the listeners to really pick up on and have it resonate with them that this is possible, right? You know, Chris started with no plan, no business, and look at what it's turned into. So can can you tell the listeners a little bit more about how you built out that business, how you built out a team? How does that out-of-state rental business work right now? And then I'd love for you to tell people more about the short-term rentals because you called that a side business, but that is an incredible, incredible way to to generate income. Definitely. Yeah. So, you know, you pick it up little by little, right? I'm not saying we didn't make mistakes in the beginning. You find out who you like working with, what you like doing, and then you make sure you do the things you like and you outsource the rest, right? And that's the key to building a business, building a team. It should be the same too when you invest out of state. 
or even if you're investing locally, um, if you don't like doing the toilets, if you don't like uh, leasing to a tenant or kicking out a tenant, well, don't be the property manager, right? Go hire out that role. But if you do enjoy it, do it. You know, Who Not How is a great book, but it really is trying to change your mind on solving that problem for doing the roles you are not good at and you don't like doing, right? And, and that also comes from Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt, another great book if you're going to build a business. And that's a big part of my role at the business now is finding those pieces to our business that we don't want to do and we want to outsource or bring in someone to do. But back then starting, yeah, we really knew that we didn't want to do all the roles. So we started with capital. Every deal we've done, we've had a partner. And in the beginning, it was just a capital partner. We did joint ventures from every deal we did. So the first two duplexes we bought, 70% was funded by a private lender. I brought 30% and our sweat and blood, of course. But uh, (laughs) the 70% was funded by a private lender. So that was already starting to put those pieces into play for getting a team both out of state, but also in a business because we had one partner as far as capital. But from there, yeah, we grew our team. We grew every time we did a deal, we added a piece in. So perhaps we weren't finding the deal anymore. Maybe we just joined a team that had the deal. So we were outsourcing the acquisitions. And then in, you know, we did that repeatedly in different pieces of the properties we started to acquire. You know, we always had, if we were out of state, we always had that property management on site. We always had uh, some form of, you know, lender or attorney that might be local or inspection appraiser, you know, that was all local. Internally, our team grew. We're about eight now. And so we had our wives came on board around 2020, like I said, and they they fulfill key roles that we like to keep close to home. My wife does more of the finance legal. And then my brother's wife, Ashton's wife, Vivian, she does all the managing the manager. So she manages property management and she'll do renovations too on the short-term rentals, which we'll jump into. Myself, I do the company operations, a lot of keeping everything running together. And I also do a lot of asset management. And then my older brother's more of the brand. He's the social media. He's the um, the hype man, we call him. He gets the meetups and stuff like that. It's a good role for someone like that. We're big on traction. We built our business around traction by Gina Wickman, the book. It's the EOS system. And it's very. it's a great way to build a business, a lot of accountability, a lot of role, function, role, understanding who's playing what role in the team. But yeah, and then, and then we, we started with these joint ventures. We started with just, you know, 50-50 LLCs. We got into syndication, more of these 70-30 splits, SEC regulated entity that you're raising capital and buying property with a bunch of partners. And lately we've been doing those as well. We do those on, you know, primarily. And then on the side, we're doing short-term rentals with one to two, sometimes three to four equity partners. We've even done a full short-term rental with actually purely debt. So all private lenders, that was pretty cool. But the equity partner, of course, makes it easier. You don't have that huge looming private lender debt as well as the uh, the bank debt. So it can be easier with an equity partner. But right now, for example, we have a, um, it was a 1.3 million acquisition in Sedona, Arizona. It's a three bed, two bath when we bought it, 3,900 square foot. We're converting it to a six bed, four bath. And it'll sleep about, yeah, 12 people up in Sedona, Arizona. It's an amazing tourist destination with Red Rocks. And short-term rentals are a little different, but really it's fundamentally, once you solve the problem that everybody's scared of, 
then you're okay with that kind of product. And that the problem everyone's scared of is managing a short-term rental. How do you manage a short-term rental? It's like a hotel. So you figure that out and then you automate it and then you put it on, you know, a VA to do it for you. Okay. Well, you solve your problem almost to the, you know, a hundred times what you think it could be. And so it's just about breaking down those problems. And, and we've been, we've been managing short-term rentals in Florida since November. So this is relatively new, but I mean, we've been crushing it. I think so far we pulled in 60,000 gross on one short-term rental alone in six months. You know, expect to double that, at least go up to 130 is our pro- projection. And that's a seven bedroom right near Des- Disney World. So when you compare that to what we've seen in long-term rentals, and this is just the last thing I'll finish with, the gross revenue for short-term rentals is just far outweighs um, long-term rentals. And, and you got to understand why people get into long-term rentals. If we're going to leave the passive investment aside, because if you're investing passively, in either one, you know, they all they both have the risk, but you're investing passively to get that return, get your time freedom mainly. But you'll see a lot of people focus on long-term rentals when they're getting started. And it's interesting why. It's because often they think it's less risky. It's less management. You know, short-term rentals, oh, what happens if nobody goes? Well, what happens if there's a problem? I can't manage it. So the short-term rentals get this idea of risk. And what happens if company or state policy changes? You know, what happens if uh, short-term rentals are banned? Well, I found this too. And I, I did long-term rentals for, you know, three years. And they're still a part of the portfolio, still what we invest with. However, you got to understand what people used to think was very secure, long-term rental policy, state policy, government policy. That definitely got shocked with COVID, right? We had a, a lady in a 13 unit that we had. She didn't pay us for a year. And we took her to court four times. So... To say that long-term rentals are not affected by state policy, it's it's no longer the fact, unfortunately. And then when you compare the gross revenue, I hate to say it, but yeah, short-term rental can do four, four to six times more revenue than a long-term rental. So if you can solve the problem of whatever strategy you're doing, you can find opportunity in various areas. You just got to get rid of that fear, right? That idea of, of what you're afraid of. Are you afraid of it for the right reason? And sometimes it means consulting a professional or an expert to clear that fear, right? So, yeah. That's great. And solving problems is is kind of something that Tim and I talk about all the time. We always talk about, hey, we, we only get paid when we solve a problem for someone. And for us, that means we are solving a uh, diversification issue. If someone's uh, mostly in the stock market and they're not really in real estate, but they're too busy to be a landlord, we solve their problem by investing in, in our uh, deals. And then we also solve 1031 problems. If uh, someone can't find a property, we could help them place their 1031 money. So solving problems has been a really, really big part of our business. And I would say probably my question to you is, as you've scaled in such a short amount of time, what are the biggest problems that you've had to solve? And what have the issues been in your scaling of the business? Yeah. So if we're solving problems for partners, it's like you said, it's very often tax benefits are a big one. You know, syndication has great tax benefits, but short-term rentals do as well. There's a loophole with short terms, which is really cool. Yona Weiss, uh, famous for cost segregation, did a, a presentation on this the other day, which is really cool on, on how he does cost seg for short-term rentals. But yeah, so we solve a lot of problems with our partner investors. It's often related to tax benefits. Of course, the passive return 
1031 is a big one. Yeah. That being able to, you know, how do I avoid those tax gains? You can do the light 1031, which I love talking about. You know, it's not just, oh, I have to 1031 my property in, but if I buy something or invest in the same year of the sale of the old property and the gains that are, you know, being taxed are as much as the depreciation on the new property that I'm investing in, well, they offset. So uh, that's the 1031 light. It's pretty cool. Uh, but it's about educating, solving those problems. In our internal team, I mean, there's there's always something to fix. And a lot of times it means educating, training, creating a process around it. We use Loom a lot in our business. So whenever we solve a problem, record it. It basically takes a video of your screen. And that way it saves it to a library. And I can go, hey, um, you know, I did this last month. Check out how I solved it. And so someone can click a link and watch the video. That's a great way to show a process. Um, but we document a lot of our processes out with tools, one like Lucid Charts, uh, making bubble maps, you know, like we're investing in a syndication here and then we need to onboard investors here. And so you, you map out all your, you know, scenarios. And then you, when you have a problem, you just add a step and you just, you add a, you know, you don't always have to overhire too in a business. This is a big issue that, a lot of big companies have, they just hire, hire, hire. Sometimes that creates more complexity than it needs to. So sometimes you can train, create a process. Sometimes you do need to hire. We're at eight people now, right? So we have about four, four VAs part-time. They're not all full-time, but they do a lot. Of, they're in the weekly meeting. We have a weekly meeting with everyone. So they're doing, you know, they're a part of the team. We, don't, we just call them VA kind of, I guess, because they're part-time, but they're doing anything from social media to doing active campaigns, so marketing messages, emails. Uh, they're doing, what else are they doing? Calling people. Um, I mean, these are things that we used to all do by ourselves, and probably not as good. And so if you can find someone that is good at that role and able to do it, even if they're only able to do it, you know, at 70% of what you used to do it, Getting your time to do what you truly enjoy doing or what you're really good at is going to really 10x the business. So that's how we mostly identify, you know, process, train, or find the right person. Yeah. Well, Greg, I guess that was a masterclass in what Cityside Capital needs to do. I mean, do you feel <laughs> inadequate like I feel inadequate right now? I mean, geez. I've, uh, I've taken a couple of notes there, uh, Tim, and um, my hand we'll hurts. have a meeting. We'll yeah, have a meeting there after. The notes. Yeah. Uh, so Chris, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for, you know, okay. uh, for diving into that. Um, you know what? W- one of the interesting things that I really kind of felt um, when you were talking was about the fear, right? I think a lot of, well, I know because I was one of those people two short years ago with an incredible amount of fear around, I have limited resources in my my dollars in my bank account, right? And how do I allocate those resources for, a good investment that's not going to bite me in the butt, that's not going to be too risky. And real estate was one of those things I wanted to get into, but there's about 3 billion ways to get into real estate. And which one do I do? Do I do passive investing, active, short-term rentals, note investing, wholesaling, fix and flips? Like there's like there's no shortage of ways to get, to get started. And the information is out there, but it could be overwhelming, right? I mean, like I, I was overwhelmed when I first started. I'm like, holy cow, like... There's 14 million podcasts. There's a billion videos. There's all these coaches. There's this, there's books. You know, where do you start, right? And I think the fear can hold a lot of people back and say, you know what? 
I'm comfortable where I am. I got a W-2. I got my vacation every year with my family. I'm maxing out my 401k like a good little boy or girl. You know what? I just, ah, you know, and I think they get like 98% of the way there. So like, Chris, how did you push through that fear? Like just like a lot of other people did uh, or, or have done, right? And what Greg and I always love talking about is from our mentor, he talks about education times action, right? And the antidote to fear is education. So by using that education, like you said, you had 45 minutes in the, the commute each way and you had your university on wheels going, but how does that transition into action? You know, because we can look back now and say, wow, in the last three, four years, Chris and his brother and their wives, they're crushing it successful IT engineer, you know, walking away at 38. I mean, unheard of type stuff, but there's a paradigm shift, I think, with people our age and even a little older saying, wow, like there's a big opportunity here for me to have an impact on my family's income and buying our time back and all that stuff. So Chris, without further ado, hit it, baby. Yeah. I mean, if you knew how IT engineers are, you'll understand we're actually very conservative so I, I came from that that whole kind of box, I guess, where you're very slow to take action. You really document everything before you do, because sometimes if you take action in IT, you shut off the server and the whole company goes down, right? So you have to, you know, I, I was trained with that slow mentality of, um, you know, let me, let me make sure all my dots are aligned and my ducks are in a row, whatever, before I take action. And that's okay. Everybody's going to approach this differently. You're going to have those guys that run through, like my brother, he's 21 years, special forces. Um, he's going to bust the door down and, and see who is shooting at him so he can, you know, take those shots uh, before, you know, fully planning it all out, maybe, um, you know, and they do plans, I'm just saying. But, you know, so everybody's going to do this a little differently. For me, it took me six months of, yes, listening to repeated examples of people doing this, of experts talking about how they did it to get that warm and fuzzy enough to jump in. And it's, it's there. It's like you said, there is a kind of wheel approach to this. You educate, you take action, you learn and you take action and it creates this cycle. So you're, you're constantly learning from the action you took. If you never take any more action, you don't actually advance forward. Right. So you do have to take action at some point. How fast it goes is up to you. I'd say one of the best ways that you can, speed up the process is partner. So even if you're doing a mentorship, if you're just partnering with uh, another person who has one deal under their belt, um, already that's going to take you 10 times faster because you're going to lean on them for the experience, for the kind of confidence in doing the deal. And that's going to accelerate what you're doing. Additionally, let's say you have no experience. They have no experience, but the partner is like my brother, very aggressive, very forward, very running at it first, and you're more the slower, you know, all the details, you're going to be a great combination because one of you is going to get all that detail work done. And the other one is going to pull the, the you forward into action. And that's what we found is a great combination. You know, I'm far more confident now in what I've been doing. And yes, now I probably look like the aggressive one when people look at what we do with real estate and all the ideas I have and stuff like that. But that didn't start like that. Partner up and fill those gaps where you are not able to do or not at skill that, or maybe don't have the confidence in, and you will accelerate that timeline. So uh, I think that's great. And uh, Tim, I'm seeing another parallel here as, um, as you were the horse that got out of the barn early on in this <laughs> thing. And I was trying to, trying to catch up to you. That's for sure. But, um, 
but you know, it, it's, you know, the aggressiveness versus, you know, the de- decision-making, you know, when, when you have someone you trust, you know, brothers in business and you can bounce things off each other and kind of lean on each other for advice for, Hey, is this a good idea? It's a really, it's a really special thing that that sounds like you and Ashton have and, and, and Tim and I have as well. You know, and it's constantly evolving, and and you're doing it with someone that you love, and that is fantastic. When you when you look back since 2018, and kind of looking forward of all the success you've had in the short term rentals and 650 units total, what's next for you for you all? Is it is it more short term rental? Is it is it multifamily? And and how do you feel like multifamily is going to fare as we uh, close out? Uh, we just started Q2 of 2022. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know when this airs, but yeah, we're doing syndications as well. That's our primary focus. So we have a 92 unit we're working on right now, uh, 506C in uh, San Antonio, Texas. So we're still doing those deals. We love those deals for the tax depreciation uh, for the passive you know, investment with not only myself, I invest in them, but our investors are able to get that passive income, the mailbox money type idea. Um, we're doing short-term rentals. We put an offer last night uh, on one in Florida. Uh, that's our fifth offer in, in like less than two weeks. So it's really hard to get a deal right now. You know, people are catching on. Where, yeah, so we're, we're doing syndication. My goal is to do at least two to three syndications a year and uh, at least six short-term rentals before the end of this year, if I can. So, and that's partnerships. We don't, you know, I'm, we're eight. We partner up for all sorts of things, not only interior design renovation. I mean, we, we go all out. So, but the syndications, we have a well-oiled machine now where, you know, we are fulfilling that investor relations piece in other syndications. In syndication groups. So we're not having to do all the pieces. So that really lets us do those two to three a year. And people trust our our name, our brand, and they they like the experience, the updates, the connections. So that's why they come through us. So we're doing those two to three years, six to six short-term rentals. If we can hit eight to a quarter, that'd be awesome. But yeah, where are we going with the market? You know, everybody seems really nervous right now. It is the end of, yeah, it's April 2022. And we just inverted again the curve inversion, whatever they like to call it. It's usually is showing that you know short-term bonds are becoming favorable, and people are afraid of you know long-term bonds, and so that's typically a sign of a recession coming up. But and then of course the interest rates are rising, right? So people are concerned. There's inflation. I personally think we're you know two to three years away from us slowing down purchasing real estate as far as real estate goes. People are going to be putting money into real estate to avoid inflation. The rate hikes, in my opinion, even if they went up to 7%, it's not going to slow people down. 1980s, we were at 18%. We're used to 2 to 3% because we're spoiled. A 6 to 7% interest rate, although it might make it harder to get those really expensive properties now, um, it's going to, yes, it's going to affect the market a bit, but people are still going to be buying. Now, real estate is always a great place to shelter capital and to get an effective growth continuous, not only from appreciation, but from a value add perspective where you force that appreciation. You just don't get that in stocks. You will not get it in bonds. And especially with the balance sheet, the way it is, I I think bonds are risky, very risky because it just takes the government saying, well, the dollar is not worth anything anymore. And then your bond isn't worth much. So I personally, here's my observation. I think that we're going to hike rates until it 
slams the market, slams the economy. The Fed's going to hike the rates until the, the market feels it. They're going to tailor back and then print more capital. And we're actually going to push this down the road even further. Will that happen? I don't know. But I don't think real estate purchases will slow down for the next two to three years. Chris, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've become a macroeconomic nerd in the last uh, 18 months. And, you know, depending on who you talk to and from which lens they are speaking to you from, you know, yes, I think this is probably like a real estate 201 class as opposed to our 101 <laughs> usual classes. But yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are nervous right now. We see it, Greg sees it, you know, when we're talking with investors, hey, you know, their yield curve inversions, does that mean recession? What does that mean for multifamily? What does that mean for interest rates? And how are we going to buy? And how are we going to fare? And, you know, and what I kind of always lean, lean on is, look, real estate is cyclical, just like the economic cycle, right? It's all cyclical, right? And it, if you look back at history, you can kind of see where we're going. I mean, to a certain extent. With that being said, you know, in the US at least, it turns out that people like to have a roof over their head when they like to go to bed at night and a place to keep their family safe, right? So depending on who you talk to, I mean, I think either CBRE or Marcus Milchap came out with a, a report not too long ago saying we're four to six million housing units. Sure, yeah. You know, that uh, below where we need to be, right? And I think mm-hmm. if anyone's out there trying to find a rental right now, we're looking for their first time home buyer, you know, you're not you're not really having any luck out there because there's simply not enough supply, way too much demand. And, you know, that fares well for rental real estate, provided that you are working with accurate numbers, accurate assumptions, conservative assumptions, and making sure that asset cash flows on day one. If you follow some of those, you know, metrics and you're following the way people have done it for eons now, um, I think at the end of the day, you know, yes, multifamily, could there be less cash flow on a month to month basis or for a quarter or two? Absolutely, there could be. But are you going to start losing money waking up on Tuesday morning and say, wow, my portfolio has got wiped out by 30%? And the answer is a emphatic no, you know, but you can't underwrite mm-hmm. for a nuclear war. You can't under you can't underwrite for COVID 2.0. But that's the thing. And I think also, you know, listen, our parents did their best with us, right? Like, hey, go to school, get a good job, max up the 401k, put a lot of cash into the bank, right? You need to have six months of savings. And I think that served them well right? That served them well coming up and and trying to live life. And I think that there's been a little bit of a paradigm shift about how money works and how credit works and, you know, how money in an account right now is really, you know, losing, you know, I guess what, 7.9 or 8%, right? Is the, the going inflation. Probably more. And yeah. pretty much anybody you talk to who's in the finance industry, they say it's it's probably actually double, right? So think about how scary that is, right? So you got a hundred grand, two hundred grand in a savings account right now, and you're probably losing like fifteen, you know, percentage points of wealth just by having it sit there and, and feeling good that it's in the account. So, and that's why I love having a podcast like this, and that's why I love going to conferences like the one that we went to, Chris, out in Phoenix. You know, because mm-hmm. people are making moves, right? They're putting their money to work. They're taking a risk, absolutely, right? But you know, what's riskier? Keeping money in the bank right now or putting the money to work? So, Chris, I want to be mindful of our time. So far, this has been a lights out show. So we like to I kind of wrap up the last part of the podcast with three questions that we ask all of our all of our guests. And the first one is from a mentor of ours, Jim Rohn. He said, a formal education will make you a living and a self-education will make you a fortune. So Chris, what does that mean to you? 
Yeah, I, to me, it's consistently learning, I think, is the self-education is that big piece because you can go get formal educated. And then what happens typically, people just stop and they go to college and they stop. So you'll you'll get as much as you got for four years out of it. Sometimes that's enough for people, but self-educating, making a fortune, that really is that continuous improvement type idea for me. Because if I had just stopped in 2018, I, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. I'm I listen, you know, every day I listen to at least, I don't know, 30 to 60 minutes of some kind of educational thing, whether it's a book, a podcast. Sometimes it's just a fun book too. So you don't have to do all crazy book. But, you know, I'm listening to Steve Jobs right now as just my filler every now and then. Interesting book. But yeah, that self-education being a fortune, I think it's just that continuous need for self-improvement. So you're teaching yourself and you're never giving up on teaching yourself. You're understanding you, you are, you will always be improving. And that's, that's a great way to look at life. I think if you do that, you'll definitely reach a fortune. Chris, that's great. And you know, a separate podcast we're going to have now is how do you have an extra 30 to 60 minutes a day to do these sort of things? But you know what? That's that's for a different day. <laughs> Love that. We'll get there. You know, the second question we have is, especially in these inflationary times that we just kind of went over and a little uncertainty in the stock market. From Robert Kiyosaki, he had something that said, savers are losers and debtors are winners. While it could be a little controversial, what does that mean to you? I mean, it's it's a prime example. You know, when you look at a savings account, we have inflation at seven percent. It's easy for me to say, yes, you're a loser for saving your money in a bank account. It's just the way it is. Now, okay, if I save it in a four hundred one k, or if I save it in whole life insurance policy, or if I there's other strategies for saving. But I agree with um, if your dollar is just sitting there and you're letting the economic or the monetary policy dictate how much that dollar is worth you're going to come out on the rough side of it because not they don't always have your interest at heart whereas if you are you know taking existing debt and getting your dollar out of the bank and putting it with leverage into some kind of product that insert real estate can give you a better return on that dollar that was literally just sitting there and actually losing money as the dollar went down over time, then you're winning, right? So that's that's where Robert, I think, is talking about using that debt to your advantage. Real estate is like the one of the only assets I know that you can take, you know, 20% of, of you know the value of an asset and, and buy it. And so you're putting 20% down and you're funding the rest with 80% debt or even 30% down. You just can't do that in Apple stock. You buy dollar for dollar, right? You you buy any other product, you're buying what its value is worth. So. Oh, I love that. And one of the podcasts I listen to a lot is Keith Weinhold, Get Rich Education. And he always talks about savers, you know, or losers and debtors are winners as well. So it's a great podcast. Anybody out there looking to get started, Keith Weinhold, Get Rich Education. Chris, this has been a great episode. The last question, I think we've covered it uh, pretty well, but I want you to just kind of give me something. When an investor, when you're talking to a new investor and they kind of come across as, you know, listen, Chris, I love what you're doing, man, but real estate is just too risky. How do you respond to that, both for the passive investor and active investor or just an investor in general? Yeah, it's a great question. And if you aren't evaluating risk, I don't think being as smart as you can with your money. So that's a great question coming from investor. There, I think it is Jim Rohn that does that video where he talks about what's the alternative, the alternative risk. And that hits hits home a lot. So evaluate all your investments 
And then, yes, choose a few that are risky, have that portfolio, and maybe choose some that are not so risky. It's not bad to have a 401k, and I'll, I'll be contrary to some of the, the real estate investors. It's not bad to invest in gold or silver. It's actually good to have a little bit in almost every, diversify a bit. Just you know, understand that real estate is probably the one that has the most advantages from a tax benefits perspective, from a return perspective, a hands-off perspective, from the demand, like Tim said, supply demand, it's in demand, it's under supply. So it's got a bunch of advantages that that stocks and gold and silver and even crypto, you know, don't always pair up with. So decide what your level of risk is, diversify the portfolio, and understand that doing nothing is by far the most risk you could do. Because you are putting your family and, and your your retirement at stake by doing nothing. And so you want to have, you want to balance a risk, yes, but you want to do the least riskiest and or I mean adjusted risk. And I think doing nothing is by far the riskiest venture. So oh, Chris, absolutely could not agree more. And and we do talk to our investors about, hey, this is a diversification play. And you don't have to be a hundred percent into the stock market. You don't have to be a hundred percent into real estate, you know, put different chunks into different buckets and, and you'll be just fine. So, um, no, that's it's fantastic. And Chris, it's been great to have you on the Passive Income Brothers. You're working with your brother, a lot of parallels to kind of our, our two different worlds here. If our listeners want to get in touch with you and uh, want to hear more about what you're doing, how can they reach you? Yeah, definitely. Come check us out. We're Valkyrie Investment Group, family business. It's valkyriegroup.com is the website. Everything's on there. V-A-L-K-E-R-E group.com. And a ton of free content. I've published 250 blog posts myself. So come read stuff. Come check out our, our videos and our podcasts and all that. So, Well, Chris, that was awesome. And I thank you for your time. But I, before we go, I just want to give a shout out to all of our veterans out there like Chris and obviously the active duty uh, members like Ashton for keeping our country safe. So my hat's off to you guys for what you do. So Greg and I are huge supporters of our military, first responder community, all those. So Chris, thank you. thank you so much, man. It was great to chat with you. I look forward to seeing you at the next conference, my friend. Let's do it. Thanks, guys. Bye now. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Passive Income Brothers podcast. We would be grateful for your support of our podcast by giving our show a five-star rating and review and subscribing to our show on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to take inspired action after listening to this show so that you can start building out your passive income streams. Finally, head on over to citysidecap.com to connect with us and find out more information about how to get started passively investing in real estate.